You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land Sake. I'm your host, Bill Kite, and today our guest is Kevin Warner, the White River National Forest Ranger for the Aspen Sopras Ranger District. Welcome, Kevin. Bill, how are you doing this afternoon? Well, I, I don't know here. I seem to get a little flumbasticated flum, here occasionally. But uh, good to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming in. And uh, last time we did this, it was during the pandemic. And so many folks may not know you that have tuned in since then uh, to KDNK. And so if you could tell us about yourself uh, and how you ended up in Carbondale, Colorado as a ranger. Sure. And thanks for having me today, Bill. Um, so uh, it was really a love for uh, for skiing that brought me to the Roaring Fork Valley originally. And uh, that was all the way back in 1999. And uh, basically, it was a great uh, Colorado girl that kept me here, um, along with uh, everything else that this uh, this valley uh, uh, this valley provides. And so, um, since '99, I've spent most of the last 24 years here in the in the Roaring Fork Valley, and um, worked here. Started as a wilderness ranger, um, worked in developed and dispersed recreation, NEPA lands. Um, did spend a few years working as a district ranger down in Arizona, took a little break and came back and, uh, worked in the supervisor's office in Glenwood. And then, uh, four year, almost four years ago now, uh, started, uh, as the district ranger here in Carbondale. It's been four years. It doesn't seem almost. like it's it'll been be in that December. Long. It'll be four. Okay. Four oh, years yeah. in December. Wow. Time goes, doesn't it? It does. With and without us. <laughs> You know, many people do not know that the current ranger station is really uh, on the, of course, it's on the southwest corner of uh, Wyant and Wyant. Say it for me. Went and Main. There we go. Went and Main Street. It once included uh, all of Sopras Park as part of the, the ranger district office. There was, uh, I think, horse pastures there. Mm-hmm. And so then it was uh, deeded to the city by the United States government, correct? Yeah, so uh, back in the 40s, like you said, the Forest Service uh, grazed our horses uh, uh, in what is now Sopras Park. And um, the house, or the, well, it is a house, Uh, the Uh office that most people think of as the office or the building that most people think of as a building was actually the district ranger's home. Um, and, uh, And so it's been... Uh, turned around into an office space and and now we've got people to work in the basement. I'm pretty sure that my current office is uh, used to be the master bedroom I think. Um, If you you think about it and then the uh, in the 1980s um, some of the folks uh, folks know here in the valley actually built the uh, the addition so the very front part of that building was built in the 80s by the likes of Wayne Ives and others. I'll be darned. Well, you know, it's uh, you have a planned ranger station that's coming, and um, a little controversy about that. I, I was uh, have, getting gas at the gas, gas station this morning, and a friend uh, um, told me what's going on from their point of view. So I'd like to hear exactly what is going on with the new ranger station, Kevin. Sure, yeah. We started all the way back in 2018 or maybe a little earlier than that. Um, with the initial plans for a new ranger station. As I said, this one uh, was originally, um, the, the building we use for most of our offices was originally a, um, a residence, and so it's not really set up to be a great office space. Um, we have no way of gathering all of our staff together at one time in our office. We're lucky. We use town hall. We use the fire station. We use other places for larger meetings, but uh, um, this will be a much, the, the new building will be a much better 
um, opportunity to bring folks in as well as to uh, just conduct normal everyday business. But um, so we are looking, uh, we're, it's out for bid right now, um, but we're looking towards uh, building a new building. Um, it will match a lot of the other buildings in the downtown area in a different way than it does now. Um, more brick and a little bit of stucco um, will be the exterior uh, and less of the what is now aluminum, si aluminum siding that uh, looks a little bit like uh, like the old building that was built in the 30s. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think that the uh, the, the thing to know is that it's re it really is important for us to be in this community and to be able to continue to be in this community. We need to have a building that uh, that operates for both public as well as for our employees. And, um, you know, the, the ones that are there now are, are at the end of their lifespan for sure. The trees are? Did oh, the, the, um, the, the building. Oh, the itself, building, because no. I think the controversy is coming out over the trees, isn't there's, it? There's a little bit of, of both. Okay. Um, I've heard that uh, for some, uh, they like the, the look that, that is there now of the kind of more uh, old-timey kind of forest service building um, that uh, the people have come to kind of expect around here. Um, but then there's uh, there are some trees there um, that uh, that will be need will need to be removed um, and uh, I I believe that we've been invited I was just talking with uh, the town manager um, a few minutes before this uh, that we've been invited to uh, to come to uh, talk with town council at their next meeting um, a little bit more and then we'll probably need to uh, to come back again to to show some changes that we're interested in making to kind of the the exterior um, the landscaping and such but there are some trees that need to go or that will need to go to be able to fit the design and then there are some trees that actually are on the site now that um, even if we weren't redesigning, um, they've met their li their expected lifespan, and they're starting to become hazards, and they should probably be going anyway. That's the uh, same problem that's in uh, Glenwood there, the Swartz tree, we call it, that uh, Lisa Swartz, Louisa Swartz planted back oh, years and years ago. It's starting to die, and it uh, was the town Christmas tree for, for a long, long time. Um, so what is there any mitigation like can you replant some of the trees that that are still there there's some thoughts around that we're actually digging into that right now about possibly uh moving some of the trees that are there um possibly moving them off site to uh to somewhere else in town um to to accommodate that and so we're we're in the early stages of that um uh, based on some of the um some of the concerns that some in the town have about uh about the removal of of the trees so you feel you're you're in the process of addressing those. We're, we're in the process of trying to figure that out right now um i've got some some staff from the super supervisor's office that are helping us out with trying to come up with a plan um so i don't know that we'll have a fully fleshed out plan uh by the meeting next week uh, but we'll be working on that and hopefully be able to bring that in the future so it sounds like that you're working with the city and that that's a good thing that's where we're at right now all right thanks kevin for mm -hmm. that update what are some of the projects that you've uh, stewarded since you've been here uh, almost four years now? I didn't realize it was that, that long. Um, projects for which you're the most proud. Could you tell us a few, a few sure. of those? Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll preface this with none of these are my projects by right. any means. They're projects right. that, uh, that have happened. Um, you know, many of them started before I became ranger here and were in the implementation phase or anything. But, but you know, I truly look at these, uh, these projects as things that we, as, a, as um, 
both as a staff here on the Ranger District, but also in a lot of ways, we with our community have uh, have achieved in the in the past three and a half years or so. And so, one of them is the uh, Maroon Bell Snowmass Overnight Visitor Use Management Plan. That's a mouthful, but uh, but it's an important one. Um, as I said before, I started out my career with the Forest Service as a wilderness ranger, and some of the things that I saw back in the uh, early 2000s um, have only been amplified. Some of the impacts to our our wilderness areas right. and um, so quite a few years back the Aspen Sopras Ranger District under Karen Schroyer's uh, um, leadership had started into a management plan for that area and we are now to a place where all of the first locations that warrant having a uh, reservation system so limiting the numbers of people who can utilize those areas right. um, those are in place so if you want to visit conundrum that one's been in place for a little while but if you want to visit snowmass lake um capital uh you know if you want to stay overnight in um the on the four pass loop you have to have a reservation now and so this is the first year that that's being implemented in most of these places and um well, I'm well not excited about people having to plan for and pay for um, their wilderness trips in the same way to those areas. Sure. Um, I am really um, proud of the work that our folks have done to um, steward those areas and to really uh, to to really look to. Um, Bringing a little more balance to the human use and the uh, and the natural resource value. Right. There, yeah. So. Yeah. I remember when that when it was being talked about when it first started. What what's going to be the measure of success in in your books on whether or not it's working after this first year? I think the the big measure there's two measures of success. I think the first one is the the uh, individual experiences. So. Um, I think that what we'll see is that people's experiences in these locations, uh, once they're there, is going to improve. And then the second one really is the um, uh, improved resource conditions. So we've seen just massive amounts of trash at some of these places that were getting to be, um, you know, overutilized. And then we were seeing um, degradation of trees and degradation of, uh, you know, of the ground and like the vegetation that grows there. And uh, from the work that we've done at Conundrum already, um, give us five years, give us a little more than that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll see some real improvements there. With all the information people have today, why is it that some folks just can't get it that they're supposed to take care of their public land. What's, <laughs> what is the deal with that? I, I think there still are a lot of people who are having first experiences or second experiences. Um, and these places are, they're, they've been made more popular by Instagram and other social media sites. And right. so that starts to bring in, bring in a different user group, uh, you know, people who have less experience. They see something on their phone when they're scrolling through looking at stuff and they're like, wow, that's beautiful. I want to go there. And um, and so they figure out how to go there. They do that and they figure it out. But they may not have built up the um, experiences that some of us did in our childhood or in other times Correct. to learn right. how to how to do that responsibly. So we're doing our the, the reservation system also has a welcome video, both in Spanish and in English, um, oh, good. that uh, that really tries to help people understand how to how to recreate responsibly. Oh, you're doing your part to try to get them educated, aren't you? We're, do, we're trying <laughs> okay. anyway. So. 
Well, what about in the future here? What are some of the primary projects that you're planning for that uh, are in line to hopefully be done and accomplished? Yeah, sure. So right now we're completing a comprehensive recreation management plan for the Maroon Bell scenic area. So we're just talking about, it's confusing for some folks, but the Maroon Bell snowmass wilderness, which is way in the backcountry, and then the scenic area, which is the Maroon Lake. So you get off the bus, you walk a couple hundred yards, and there you go. You've got the bells, and you've got the lake, and you've got just that magnificent, amazing, iconic view. Um, And so we're just about finished with the comprehensive management plan that we've worked with with all the other amazing partners um, that help us to uh, to steward that uh, that iconic destination, um, and uh, there's going to be a lot of things that come out of that. That we have uh, some work to do. There's going to be more. Um more research, some more additional studies, but in addition to that, we're, we're going to be looking at some better sign planning. I'd really like to see that area have either bilingual or multilingual signage through the entire scenic area um, so we can meet all of our visitors in a better way. Um, and uh, and there's, a, there's, there's quite a few other recommendations coming out of our planning process as well. A lot of people are using their phones or smartphones to do just about everything, but there's not any coverage up there, is there? There is not at this point, no. And, uh, you know, to be real honest with you, I think that that, that uh, that's a good thing. I, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing to get away from uh, from that sometimes. So, yeah. One of the other things that we're, the White River National Forest is going to be starting into here real soon is uh, forest plan revision. Uh, which is not so much a project, but it's a big plan. Um, and it's going to be a big endeavor. Um, we'll, the public won't see much of it. We'll be mainly, the, uh, for the next year, we'll be mainly collecting up all the information and the data and pulling it together. Uh, but come, that would be kind of the early 20, or late 2024 um, is likely when we'll start to really start to engage uh, more folks in the public um, and uh, really trying to uh, take a look at one of the, what I still think is one of the better uh, forest plans, um, and how can we take that and uh, and make it even better? Well, I appreciate you saying that since I had a little bit of part in that <laughs> when I worked for the Forest Service, and people don't realize how you got your regular job to do, and then that kind of gets added on top of it. It takes a long time to really make it happen. And, yeah, for sure. And uh, But those things don't just sit on the shelf. they they got to get revised, don't they? You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land's Sake. Today our host is Kevin Warner, ranger for the Aspen Sopris Ranger District of the White River National Forest. Kevin, what is it about your job that uh, makes you want to get up in the morning and get after it? <laughs> well, one of the things that, uh, that I think about is, uh, um, is some of the – it comes back to some of the visitor use data and some of the other information that we've pulled uh, more recently. So um, – Five years prior, so in 2017, I believe it was, um, we did our mo- we did the prior uh, visitor use monitoring data and pulled that. And this well, the White River National Forest, not the Asmatopoulos Ranger, but the larger uh, national forest, was seeing about 13 million or so visitors, 12 to 13. Um, and in 2022, um, this national forest is seeing approximately 18 million visitors. Good um, Lord, I didn't so know. So it's a huge increase wow. over a five-year time period. Um, and also, we've done some we've done some work, or they've done they they the at the larger level, the national level, they've done some work to try to better understand um, 
what the contribution of our national forests are to economies. And um, the White River National Forest, through that visitation that I'm talking about, but also through, um, you know, uh, timber sales, through oil and gas leasing, through um, range management and grazing leases, um, we contribute um, over a billion dollars to GDP annually. The White River? The White River alone, just the White River National Forest. Um, and so um, those are a couple of things that when I think about it, I think about the value of these public lands that we have and the value of our national forests and what they provide um, to to not only the people like you and I who live here and who've lived here for quite a while, but also to, um, you know, the people who come to visit um, that come here because it's beautiful. They come here because it's an opportunity to get away from different, you know, some of their other normal daily lives. Yep. and uh, and enjoy what we get to enjoy all the time. Um, and so being able to provide um, that to you know our nation is uh, is a big part of how I how I motivate myself on a daily basis. You often think at all about the the history of being a ranger in the national forest and what what legacy has uh, preceded you? <laughs> it's changed a little bit, you know. I don't know how many people know this. You you probably know it, Bill. But when they first laid out the size of the ranger districts, it was they they weren't supposed to be any larger than uh, the district ranger could ride his horse in a day. Um, wow. So you'd be able to at least yeah. get to one side of it and then back to to the back to the office or back to your home in a day. And that was how they were supposed to be laid out. And uh, even if I had the opportunity to ride a horse around the district, I know I can't cross 750,000 acres in a day. No way. Um, so, uh, so it's changed a lot. The, uh, you know, the job's changed a lot. The expectations have changed a lot. But, uh, um, but I enjoy it. I, I, really, uh, I really think it's uh, in the, the management of our public lands, whether it's BLM, Forest Service, Park Service. Um, I just think that it's, it's really important uh, Work that we provide for uh, for everyone here uh, here in in the nation. That uh, motto that uh, Pincho said, I I think I have it right. The greatest uh, the greatest good for the greatest number over the long haul, something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's uh, that's quite a quite a motto to live up to, isn't it? It is. It's a lot, um, but uh, but you know, it's uh, it's what we've got. It's what it's what we're being asked to do, and. Uh, I can I can say that um, it's it's not antiquated. Even though it was over a hundred years ago, uh, it still makes a lot of sense for how we want to how we want to look at things here. A lot of people have their own use that they really want to to see uh, done or developed on the forest land, and uh, it's hard to to really make the multiple use idea come true do you feel like the forest service is doing that on the aspen ranger just aspen sopers ranger district you know this is a ranger district that has a little bit of everything when you when you try to look at it and think about what you know all the different um aspects of management that you could have on a ranger district um we've got most of them so i do i do think that as far as uh um, the Aspen Sopris Ranger District goes. We are meeting that mandate of multiple use. I mean, we've got we've got 
grazing. We've got timber harvesting. We have recreation more than more than we know what to do with sometimes but we've got a lot of recreational use um small amount of mining uh one of the things we don't have is wild horses and to be real honest with you i'm okay with that for right now so i can understand uh, why (laughs) but uh but there's a there's a little bit of everything some oil and gas leasing we've got uh, all kinds of projects or all all kinds of uses happening out there and also you have the the land that uh in the not the forest plan, but in the revision of the oil and gas leasing uh, EIS, uh, is slated for not any development as far as new oil and gas leases are concerned. Do you think that's going to hold up but over the next few years, or do you think it's Congress is going to pass um, the the? Well, I forgot what the name of the law is <laughs> that they've got, but it's there's a really good one that's that's in the books that may be coming up. Hope it gets voted on. You remember what the name of it is? The Core Act. Is yeah, the Core Act. There about? we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I can't speculate too much on uh, on what Congress is oh, going to do or not really do. True. Um, but uh, but I, you know, we've we've been asked. You know, Scott Fitzwilliams, the Forest Supervisor, signed a record of decision for an oil and gas EIS that um, that has withdrawn those areas from uh, consideration for new oil and gas leases uh, in the Thompson Divide, um, and this. Um, uh, proposal from uh, from the Biden administration to uh, to look at a uh, a withdrawal of those lands at the secretary level um, will basically do the th- same thing or uh, very similar things, but it will uh, it will be signed off on at a, at a level that's much higher um, than the forest supervisor. Um, and so, whether or not uh, anything else happens as far as an act of Congress, um, I'm not sure. But we'll be we we here on the White River National Forest and the Aspen Sopras Ranger District will be working on the on the withdrawal uh, with our friends on the. GMUG, our friends at the BLM, uh, we'll be working on that withdrawal over the next year or so. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to catch you off guard here, Kevin. <laughs> uh, what what one thing are you most worried about um, as you do your job day to day? Yeah, you know, I think that um, it's interesting because I had a couple other projects that I thought of that we might uh, that I might talk about for the successes okay. or the things that we were uh, we we're looking at there, and one of them goes along right along with the concerns that I have. Okay. And um, so um, one of the successes that I think uh, we've seen here in the Valley uh, as, uh, you know, recently over the last year and a half to two years is the formation of the Roaring Fork Valley Wildfire Collaborative, um, where we've brought, oh gosh, it's been a while since I've had to talk about this, but I think it's 17 different, maybe 18 um, different organizations together to sign one MOU saying we're going to work together to try to make the lands in our valley more resilient to wildfire. That's not to say we're going to stop all the wildfires. It's to say that we're going to make them more resilient and ready for that. And the reason that I think that's important is because of how impactful um, large catastrophic wildfires are. We've seen we've seen large wildfires uh, close. You know, we've seen Lake Christine, and then you have Grizzly Creek. Yep. Um, and so, I think that as far as the thing the things that we can focus on the most is really trying to. Um, to prioritize how we work together to try to do the most important work that can make our 
uh, lands more resilient. One of the things the Forest Service has done here in this valley is we've upped the amount of acres as much as we can anyway of treated acres, whether it's through prescribed fire or, you know, hand treatments, mastication-type treatments. Um, we've uh, we've accomplished a little more every few years um, than we were, you know, maybe four or five years ago. And it's uh, it's been great partnerships with uh, the counties and um, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife and others to uh, to make that happen um the uh, town of car or the carbondale fire and rural i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to say this one now <laughs> carbondale rural fire department um is yeah. uh, uh been a huge help as well in some of the treatments that we've gotten done up on the chris up on the crystal so good um so that's one of the things that uh yes it uh, maybe it keeps me up at night a little bit but at the same time i think we're making uh we're making we're making forward progress in the places we need to that's good news um, what about the Future Forest Roundtable? Is that still going? Tell us a little bit about what you, what you do there. When yeah, you meet. the Future Forest Roundtable is still uh, is still active. Um, get together about three times a year. Um, many of the same people that uh, that have been getting together for for a while. Um, I would say it's it's more of an information sharing opportunity, which I think is st- is really important. Um, and uh, you know, when we get together and the BLM can tell. Um, the county and the city and the other other folks about their projects and so can the Forest Service and vice versa, all back and forth. Um, that's good. It's good to share that information and really talk those things through. So still active. Well, there's future for the future Forest Roundtable. There is. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. good. In uh, the time we have left, uh, tell us what as individuals can we do to affect change or to be uh, more helpful in the district and so that it might be more successful what what can the public do yeah i think one of the things that that i was uh, that i think about when i think about how the public helps the forest service um obviously volunteerism is is great so you know volunteering to work with roaring fork outdoor volunteers when they've got a uh you know a trail maintenance day or with um independence pass foundation when they're um up doing work on uh, on the pass or with uh, the forest conservancy to to do you know kind of wilderness ranger patrols is one of the one, one of the huge things that people can do um but then i think the other thing that people can do is is really stay engaged in the uh, in the public processes that are happening out there for uh, the different projects and such, um, because uh, it's best to to keep on top of those things. And if you can engage early and often, um, then we have more information to work off of to uh, to try to do excuse me do our best to uh, to be able to provide the you know the public benefits that uh, that many here in the valley would like to hear like to see. A lot of times we don't suspect the new biggest, funnest gadget that's going to happen. Uh, we didn't, I don't think, anticipate on public lands uh, even motorcycle use like it came and then ATV use. And what, what, what use out there is in the future that you might think about that could affect public lands that's mechanized? Yeah, um, I don't know if you've seen them yet, but they we call them timber sleds. Um, so it's like a motorcycle. Uh, it's it's very similar to a motorcycle, except it's uh, got a, a track on it for a snowmobile. So huh. those uh, those. 
vehicles can get just about anywhere on on snow once you uh once you get them moving and uh so but they've been out for a few years we haven't seen them really you know expand too terrible much um e-bikes are uh, are you know a mechanized motorized uh a piece of uh equipment that um has a lot of oppor- uh provides a lot of opportunity for people to get a little a little further out and a little and and spend a lot more time out there um because you're not having to work quite as hard as you would on a on a normal mountain bike so i think those are a couple of things i'm not super concerned about them but i do think that they're um pieces of uh technology that are changing the way people recreate for sure yeah i finally got one myself yeah (laughs) i I understand um what uh what about your office? Do you have enough staff now that, that can take care of things? Um, you know, the um, there has been an effort over the last few years to, about a year actually, to, to increase staffing. So um, we've got a few more people uh, hired, but not quite all of them we'd like yet. Well, so that uh, maybe provides some opportunity for people in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin, for being with us today. You've been listening to... For land's sake, KDNK's public affairs program. Join us again this time, second Monday of September, September 12th at 4 o'clock for an interview with Ellen Kemp of DHM Designs. And until then, whatever you do to Mother Nature, do it for land's sake.